that you can find serving in the Lord's work. And uh, we, we never need to take that for granted. Amen. I want you to take your Bible while you remain standing. Just take your Bible and go to Genesis chapter number 22. Genesis chapter 22. And uh, we're going to read in verse number 1. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Travis Sharp. I'm the uh, director of Unsheltered International. And from time to time, the Lord lets me fill in here, and I absolutely enjoy it. So it's my privilege to be with you today. My wife, April, and our kids are here this morning, and we don't get to be here very often because we travel. We help uh, other churches start ministries to the homeless. We do disaster relief, all kinds of great stuff, but when we're home, we love it. Amen? Amen. And God has just blessed us. I want to uh, just tell you, this is no easy task. When Brother Malcolm, uh, Pastor Malcolm, preaches week in and week out, three services, and then he teaches in the foundations class, and all he does, it's just not an easy chore. And we need to just be thankful for that. Matter of fact, all the staff does such a good job. If, uh, if I was on the salary committee, I'd recommend a raise to everybody, Amen. Uh, I don't think we have a salary committee, but if I had one, if I was on it, I'd recommend a raise because they do such an awesome job serving God, and it makes, it makes going to church wonderful. Well, are you in Genesis 22? Say amen. amen. All right, let's read verse 1 and following. The Bible says, and it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. And Abraham rose up early in the morning, and saddled his ass, and took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and clave the wood for the burnt offering, and rose up and went unto the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship, and will come again to you. I want to pray, and I want you to help me, and then I want to talk to you this morning on the subject of how to worship in our time of need. How to worship in our time of need. Let's just pray together. Father, we love you, and thank you for this day. Thank you for everything that has happened already. And thank you, Lord, for what you're about to do in our hearts and in our lives. I just pray that you would uh, be able, Lord, to accomplish your purposes here. And, Lord, we thank you for it. I love you and praise you. We need your help now, Lord. We need your strength. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for standing. You can have a seat. As we walk through life... I think it's a fair assessment to say that from time to time we will all find ourselves 
in a, in a time of need in our lives. Can you say amen right there? And Abraham found himself in a very needy spot, a very hard spot. And we're going to look at that in a moment. But I want to say this by way of introduction. I believe that every one of us as believers, we're going to go through three different types of needs in our life. Uh, the first one is what I call the self-created need. That happens to us when we bring something upon ourselves. In the Bible, there's a story about a, a young man. We call him the prodigal son, and the story is in Luke chapter 15. And this is a young man that decided that he wanted what his father could give him more than he wanted his father. So he took his inheritance early, and the Bible says he went to a far country, and he wasted his inheritance with riotous living. He found himself busted, down and out, nowhere to go, and, and, and with empty pockets, he found himself working in a hog farm. And the Bible said he got so hungry that he would have ate the same stuff he was slopping the hogs with, but then he came to himself. In other words, he, uh, he got convicted. And he came to himself and he said, man, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to eat and to spare? But here I am, his son, and I perish with hunger. So he was in a very needy spot, but he caused it himself. And his response was this. He went to his father and he asked for forgiveness. And there's been times in my life when, when I found myself in an absolute mess and I had nobody to look at except me. You ever been there? And you know what I had to do? I had to run to God and say, Father, please forgive me. That's a self-created need. And uh, you may think you're above that, but I promise you, keep living. You'll be there again. <laughs> But there's another type of need that we will find ourselves in. That's not the self-created need, but that's what I call the situation-created need. In a self-created need, we bring the trouble on ourselves. But in a situation-created need, it's not because of something we did, but that's when life just happens to us. We are living in a fallen world. Would you agree with that? We are living under a curse in this, this present world, a curse of sin. And bad things happen to good people, not because necessarily of something we do, but because we live in a fallen world. And sometimes we'll find ourselves in a place of need in our life, and it's not because of something we did, it's just because we're human. A good example of that is in John chapter 4. There was a nobleman, this guy that came to Jesus, and this man's son was sick. Matter of fact, he was almost dead. And it wasn't his fault. It wasn't his son's fault. It wasn't anybody's fault. It just happened. And so this man came, and he ran to Jesus, and he asked Jesus not for forgiveness, but he asked him for mercy. And it's a cool story. You should, should check it out and read it. The Bible says that at the very time that Jesus said, I'll heal your, heal your son, is when God did heal his son, and he was in another town. But 
That man didn't cause that. Life just happened. So we have the self-created need, the situation-created need, but then there's another type of need that sometimes we'll find ourselves in the middle of. And that's what I like to call the sovereign-created need. You remember Job? The Bible says that, that Job was a righteous man. He feared God. And then one day Satan came and had a conversation with God and, uh, and Satan basically accused God that all his people loved him because of just because of what they gave him. And so God said this. He said, have you considered my servant, uh, servant Job? And so what happened after that is God took the hedge down and God allowed Satan to bring many things that were bad into Job's life. And now Job didn't cause it. Job had no clue what was going on. But he found himself in a great test, a great trial, in need. You know how Job responded? The Bible said in Job 1.20 that he fell down and he worshipped God. How about Paul and Silas in Acts chapter 16? In Acts chapter 16, oh, Paul and Silas, they were missionaries and they were on fire for God and they were serving the Lord. They were doing the best they knew how to follow what God had laid on their hearts. Matter of fact, they even cast a demon out of a demon-possessed person. And man, they were on fire for God. But the magistrates, the officials in this town, they absolutely despised how God was working through Paul and Silas. And they locked them up. Matter of fact, they first beat them. The Bible says, in the King James Bible, it says they laid many stripes upon them. That means they beat them. Then they cast them into prison. And so here's Paul and Silas, beaten, persecuted for their faith, and in prison. And you know how the Bible says they responded? In, in chapter 16, verse 25, the Bible says, And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God. And the prisoners heard them. What they did in their, in their time of need is they began to worship God. And here in our story today, Genesis chapter 22, God, we find out, is the author of this test. The Bible said in verse 1 that God did tempt Abraham. That means that God tested Abraham. It's not that God tempted him with evil. We know that God tempts no man with evil and he can't be tempted with evil. But God put Abraham to the test is what this means. We can see the absurdity of the test. Here's what God did. God told Abraham to take his son and sacrifice him as a burnt offering to God. Would you say that Abraham as a father was between a rock and a hard spot? Would you say that he came to, 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 to a great time of need in his life? He needed God to move. He was in, in a bad way. I believe that Abraham reacted the same way Job did and the same way Paul did 
He fell down and he worshipped God in his time of need. Now, here's the message. Every Christian here today can worship God in our time of need. We can do it. Now, here's what, here's what the world says. The world says if God doesn't treat you right, then leave the church. Here's what our flesh says. Our flesh says, well, man, if that's how God's going to let it turn out for you, then, man, he must not be God at all. And we are tempted to give up on life and give up on God. But old Job, in his hardest time, he fell down and he worshipped. Uh, Paul and Silas, in their darkest hour, they began to sing and worship. And Abraham, in his time of need, he responded, not with forgive me, Lord, not with have mercy on me, God, but he responded to God, you've told me. Now, God... I'm going to worship you in this trial. Now check this out. There's three approaches that Abraham used to worship God in his time of need. And I want to give you these three, uh, three approaches. Number one, he worshiped God with his obedience. With his obedience. You'll find out in verses 1 through 3 that when Abraham called God, he said, here I am. Then in verse 2, you'll find out that God told Abraham what he wanted him to do. And here's the kicker. In verse 3, if, if they'd been writing this about Travis, it would have said, and Travis got out of Dodge. <laughs> it would have said that Travis said, say what? But in verse 3, the Bible says, and Abraham rose up early in the morning. Why did he get up early? So he could get everything ready and go do what God told him to do. Now here's the thing. This was not Abraham's idea. The Bible said that God did tempt or test Abraham. Here's what God said. God said, Abraham, go to the land of Moriah and there sacrifice your son Isaac for a burnt offering. You know what the word Moriah means? It means chosen by God. So, so Abraham didn't think this up. He didn't dream this up. But the sovereign creator of the entire universe chose Abraham to be in this pickle if you could call it that. And Abraham, you know what he did? He obeyed. What does obedience look like? How did he obey? One sub-point here. He obeyed by answering God's call. He just answered God's call. He said, here I am. Then he rose up early, saddled uh, uh, everything up, and there he went, following God's call. Now, here's the sad thing. God's not out of the calling business. You hear what I'm saying? God is still God. He never changes. God is still calling the lost to himself. God is still calling men to be preachers. God is still calling his servants to be missionaries. God is still calling us to love him and serve him and worship him no matter what. But it seems like there's fewer 
and fewer and fewer people that are obeying the voice of God. Let me ask you this. What could possibly, what could possibly be better worship than just doing what God has asked of us? See, we think worship only happens in church or, or we think worship is, is raising our hands or singing songs and praising the Lord. And, and hey, amen, I'm, I like it, I'm for it, and it is. But I want you to think about this. What does it say to God and everybody else when we just obey him? It says, God, I believe you're right. When we obey God in any situation, it says, God, I believe you know better than me. When we obey God and answer his call, we say, God, I believe you're the sovereign creator of the universe. And whatever you say goes. And nothing is worship like obedience is worship. I told this story earlier today about when I was a freshman in Bible college. I, God had, or when I was a senior, when I was a freshman, God called me to work with the homeless people in Augusta, Georgia. And I loved it, and I did that all the way through college. But the last semester of my senior year, I got a little shaky. Here's what happened. Everybody was talking about what they were going to do after Bible college. Some of my buddies were, said they were going to be pastors and some were going to be evangelists and preaching revivals and all this stuff and some were going to be missionaries to faraway places. And, and the only thing that was on my heart was to be a missionary to the homeless. And here's what I got to thinking as, as days drew on and I got to hearing everybody else and their awesome uh, plans for the future. I got to thinking, man, what I've chosen don't pay very good. <laughs> I got to thinking, matter of fact, it don't pay nothing. I got to thinking, man, old brother Tim, he's, he's going to pastor that church and they're going to give him a salary. He'll probably have a car. He might even have insurance. I got to thinking, man, I don't see a way. And I found myself envying all of what they said they were called to do and hating what God had called me to do. And so late one night, our college was from 6 at night till 10 at night. After school one night, I was driving home. And man, I got to arguing with the Lord. And I don't know if you ever do that, but if you hadn't, I'll, I'll tell you this. It's good, it's good just to let God know how you feel, but you won't win. At least I never have. So... I got to just praying and crying and telling God on the way home one night that, God, I don't want to do this no more. I want to do something better is what I told God. And I just told him. I said, Tim's going to be a pastor. I said, Brother Malcolm already is one. Uh, So-and-so is going to be an evangelist. And here I'm stuck with this. And, I mean, I got mad at God. I said, Lord, I don't want to be a homeless man preacher for the rest of my life. Exact words, what I told God. I Finally, I pulled off on the road, and I just sat there, and I was just kind of distraught, and I was praying, and just wasn't really praying, just arguing. And finally, 
after I got real still and after I quit complaining and pouting, finally, the Lord just whispered to my heart. Here's what he said. He said, Travis, you've been looking at the task that I'm calling you to do. But you've not been looking at me, the God who's calling you. And all of a sudden, it's like somebody flipped a light switch and, and a, a light in my pea brain came on. And I thought to myself and I said to God, I said, you mean, Lord, it's more important that you want me to do this than it is what you've actually told me to do? And God said, yeah. And I began to think about it. Most of my buddies in Bible college, they just hoped that some church would call them to be a pastor. But, but they hadn't received no call yet. They hoped that somebody would call them to preach in revival. But nobody had called them yet. But here I am. I done been working in this thing for four solid years. My call was evident. God had been using me. God had been blessing me. People had been saved. And I sat right there in my tears of anger turned into tears of joy. And I said, Lord, I'll go. Lord, I'll give my life. Lord, I'll do it. Lord, I'm not going to worry about what you've called me to do. I'm going to rejoice in the fact that the God of the universe wants me to do something for him. In other words, I had to be obedient to God's call. Here's my question to you. Will you be like Abraham was? Say, here I am, Lord. What's God calling you to do? Did, did you ever stop to think that maybe, maybe God has let you be in the circumstances you are so that he could send you to where he wants you to be or make you who he wants you to be? He worshiped with his obedience by answering God's call. But number two, there was another approach that Abraham used. He worshiped with his sacrifice. Not only did he obey, but he sacrificed. In verse 2, God said to take your son Isaac, your only son. Now check this out. How do you worship with your sacrifice? I mean, what, what, what does that mean? Well, God asked him for what was scarce in his life. He said, take thy son, thine only son, Isaac. You say, well, he wasn't his only son. He had Ishmael, his only son of promise. The only son that God promised that Abraham, that through him, his seed would be blessed. You see, Isaac was scarce. He didn't have a whole lot of Isaacs. He had one. And how about the audacity of God? To give Abraham a promise, but then ask him to sacrifice that promise. But not only did he worship by giving what is scarce, he worshiped God by giving God what was sacred. He said in verse 2, take thine son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest. You got to understand something here. Abraham wasn't no deadbeat dead. You hear what I'm saying? He loved this boy. 
And by the way, this is a great picture, and I don't have time to go into the typology. I wish I did, but there was God the Father, and he had a son that he loved too, and he gave him to be the sacrifice for you and I. But anyway, Isaac was sacred. He loved him. But you know what dawned on me? Matter of fact, in the last service, Brother Sean, what dawned on me in the last service is that how could he give his son? It was obvious that even though Isaac was loved of Abraham and very sacred, it became obvious to me that there was someone he loved more than he loved Isaac. He loved his God. And you know what God will do? God will put us to the test. Not so that he can see what we're going to do. He already knows. But he will test us and try us so that we can find out just how much we love God. Let me ask you this. Has God asked you for something? Has he? Have you given it to him? When we were in the Philippines in January... We met one of the sweetest, sweetest ladies. In the green right here, second from the left, is Grace Aloda is her name. We call her Mama Grace. That's what everybody calls her, Mom Grace or Mama Grace. Just leave that picture up for a minute. This is one of the sweetest, sweetest Christian ladies you'll ever meet in your life. We stayed in her home for 15 days. She fed us. Three meals a day, three snacks a day. When we were out doing medical clinic, they cooked and brought the food to us. So sweet. The interesting thing about Mama Grace is that her and her husband, when they were younger, they moved to the United States. They're both Filipino, but they moved to the United States. They lived in Orange County, California. Very affluent place, and they actually, they became very successful. They had uh, eyeglass business, and they were uh, in that field and very successful business owners. And, but they retired in 2004 or 2005, and God put the dream in her husband's heart to go back to the Philippines, to the island where he grew up, which is Bantayan Island, and to build a church there, a mission church, because there was not a church there. And so, at retirement age, um, Miss Grace and her husband, Pastor Sock, he never had preached before, but he felt like God wanted him to be a preacher. They, they sold things, they left family, they left her, her daughters and sons are, are in, the California, in California. They left all that in 2005. They went back to Bantayan Island, Philippines. They built a home. They built a church, and God began to flourish and bless their brand new ministry in their retirement years. And things were going awesome. Hey, she told us this story, me and April and some of the others on the mission trip. We sat around the table with her one night, and she told us this story. She said things were going so great, and somewhere around 2011, her husband, Pastor Sock, he got diagnosed with a very aggressive form of cancer. And so they had to return to the United States to seek the proper treatment. 
But the treatment didn't work. And in less than a year, he had gone home to be with the Lord. So here's Mama Grace. She sold everything and left everything in the United States, moved to follow her husband's dream in the Philippines, had some success, and now, really, God, you're going to take my husband? So now she's over in California, stuck in California in 2011. She buries her husband, and this is what she told us as we sat around her table eating mangoes, the best mangoes you ever eat in your life. She said, right before her husband died, he asked her, Honey, what are you going to do? What now? Will you stay here, obviously, with your children? And what will you do? She's 72 years old. She said that she held his hand and she looked at him. She said, I'm going to do the only thing I can do. I'm going to live for God. She said, I'm going back to Bantayan Island. She said, I'm going to work for Jesus as long as he'll let me. So once again, she left her children. She left her grandchildren. She left the comforts of California and the United States. And there she goes. You know what she does every, every, every week now? On Saturdays, every Saturday, she goes to an island that's inhabited by 158 squatters, basically like a giant homeless camp. And she teaches Bible study to the ladies and the children that live on that island in squalor. Every Sunday in her living room, we got to be a part of this two Sundays in a row, in her living room, they wake up at like 5 a.m. and they cook rice, 100 pounds of rice. They cook all this other stuff and in their living room, it becomes a massive assembly line, getting the food ready to feed the children after church on Sunday. She teaches Sunday school to the children and the ladies every week. Then she and her helpers serve a meal. And she lives in the home that Pastor Sock, her husband, built with several other people that just serve in the church with her. And she serves God. She just had her 75th birthday. Let me ask you this. Does that woman there in the green, does she look depressed? Does she look like, like she's enduring life? No, she's having the time of her life serving God. I'll tell you why. Because in her darkest hour, she said, God, instead of quitting, instead of running, instead of giving up, I'm just going to worship you in my time of need. I'm giving my life to you. Amen. There's another approach that Abraham used, and we'll close with this. He worshiped with his obedience. Are you being obedient to God today? He worshiped with his sacrifice. Has God asked you for something you've not let go? Number three, he worshiped with his faith. With his faith. What, do you, what in the world do you mean by that, preacher? How do you worship with your faith? Here it is, by believing God for the outcome. You see, the interesting thing about faith, faith is not understanding all the details. It's not. 
Faith is trusting God for the outcome. You see, I'm sure Abraham had lots of questions on the way up the mountain. I'm sure Abraham thought, really? Really? After all of this? But here's one thing I do know. He said, when Isaac looked at him, he said, Father, I see the wood. I see the fire. But where's the lamb? And here's what Abraham said. He said, my son, God will provide himself a lamb for the burnt offering. What he was saying is this. He was saying, son, God's going to take care of it. I don't know how. I don't know the details. But I know this. God has got this. And the cool thing is if you go read in Hebrews 11 in the hall of faith, you read verse number 19, you'll, you'll find out that Abraham actually believed that after he sacrificed Isaac and killed him on the altar, that God was going to raise him up. And here's why. Here's why. Because God had given Isaac or God had given Abraham some promises. See, God promised Abraham that his seed would be blessed. God had promised Abraham that he was going to do a great work through Isaac. And so you know what old Abraham did? He just by faith believed that God meant what he said. Here's what I'm trying to tell you on this point. Faith is not just a shot in the dark. Faith is not something that we just think might happen. Faith is simply taking God at his word and trusting in not what, it, what we say, but trusting in what God has said. Listen, he has promised he'd never leave us nor forsake us. So you can take it to the bank. He, God has promised that he is coming again. So you can take that to the bank. God has promised the millennial reign. You can take it to the bank. Listen, I'm not asking you and God's not asking us to just somehow believe in whatever. God's saying this, I've given you some promises. In your darkest hour, hold on to those promises. So Abraham, how'd he worship? By faith. He said, God will provide a lamb. God will take care of it. You know what? You read the rest of that story, we find out that God did exactly what God said he was going to do. Now I'm done. Here's my question to you this morning. Will you worship in your time of need? Has God called you to a place in your life where you need God to move like never before? Listen, if God has called you to this place, don't you think that God's got it under control? I realize this, this is easy preaching. A little bit more difficult to live it. But if we'll worship God by obeying Him, by sacrificing for Him, and by trusting Him by faith, I promise you God will work on our behalf. Amen? Amen. Let's, uh, let's all stand. Heads bowed and eyes closed. All over the building, heads bowed and eyes closed. Only people moving ought to be the altar workers and the musicians. Now I want to ask you this morning. Has God spoken to your heart? I hope he has. I hope, man, that I hope that maybe God has 
identified an area of your life that he's working on. And I'm praying right now for you that you do whatever it is God's telling you to do. Matter of fact, I want to just pray for that now. And while I pray, Christian, child of God, I wonder if you'd use this altar and come and find a place to kneel and say, Lord, I'm just going to do what you've said, and that's how I'm going to worship you. Lord, I'm going to obey you. I'm going to, by faith, worship you starting now. Would you come, Father in heaven, I love you so much. Thank you for the mercies of the Lord and the grace of God. Thank you for how you, you just move in amongst us, how you bless. I pray, God, you'd have your will and your way this morning in this altar call. God, I pray that you would be glorified in all of us. There's a second part to this invitation. A second part. Maybe you're here this morning and God has brought you here and you know that God has brought you here. But you're not very sure about your relationship with God. Can I tell you this? The Bible teaches us that every one of us will stand before God one day. Every one of us have broken God's law. And we are in need. Matter of fact, we are in desperate need of a Savior. We're powerless to save ourselves. But the good news is, just like God provided a ram in the thicket for Abraham, God provided Jesus for you and I. And by trusting Jesus as our personal Savior, God will count His sacrifice as ours. Our sins can be forgiven and we can know God by faith. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Let me ask you this question. If you died today, are you 100% sure that you would go to heaven or would there be some doubt? If you can't answer that question 100%, then I want to invite you to do business with God today. Is God speaking to your heart? All you need to do today is step out of your seat, walk to this front of the church here at the altar, and there's men here that can pray with men. There's ladies that can pray with ladies, and they can take a Bible and show you how to surrender your life to God. I wonder if God has spoken to your heart I'm going to ask Brother Jalen to sing, and while he sings, I wonder if you'd come and be obedient to what God's telling you to do. Go ahead, Brother Jalen. I must tell Jesus all of my trials. I cannot.